You can turn to uh, Numbers chapter 21 in your Bible. And I want to put something in your minds uh, before we read. And that is just a, a feeling. If you can imagine, if you were ever on an airplane flight, and you were sitting in the middle seat with somebody on your right and your left, and it was a long flight, the air conditioned knob thing, no matter how far you turned it, it didn't get cold enough. The person on your left is sleeping on you, the person on your right will not stop talking. And the pretzels don't have salt on them. You just you name it, right? They've run out of your the drink you want, they don't have. You're miserable. You're miserable. And you're coming in on uh, approach to land and you have that feeling and you like thank God I'm landing I don't know if I could have another 15 minutes of this I think I would die if I were on this airplane for 15 more minutes you ever have that feeling and as you're coming into land all of a sudden you feel like you're put back in your seat a little bit and the airplane starts to accelerate and the pilot comes on the intercom and says ladies and gentlemen I'm sorry that we have to go around We'll just be a little bit longer. You ever had a feeling like that? Like I don't want to, I'm not going to be graphic, but have you ever had to really use the bathroom? You're driving along and you got to really go. And you're five minutes away from the house and you're thinking, I think I can make it. And this ends well, don't worry. <laughs> you, you get home and in your relief, you reflect like, I don't know if I could have gone 10 more seconds. How, how it just, you barely made it. If you've never had that, you will. <laughs> right, the days are coming. Uh, but there's a, there's a way that your body paces towards the destination. I, I often feel that my, I have some sort of internal clock that knows when something should happen and I'm ready for it to arrive when it happens. And I think psychologically we do that. Psychologically we pace towards a destination. We have expectations of something happening on a certain time in a certain way and sort of the peace of our own spirit is connected to things happening on schedule. In my former life when I was deployed, it didn't matter if I was gone for a month or two months or three months or even four months. It didn't matter as long as I came home when I said I was coming home. I could have been gone for 120 days. And if I had to call my wife and say, the airplane broke, I'll be another day. That day was drama for us both. We were train wrecks. We were weepy because we had paced to a certain destination. And it, 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 was, it always surprised me. It didn't matter if it was a month or if it was four months. It was the same amount of drama. We have a way of doing that. Of placing our hopes in what we think will happen. And then a lot of who we are sort of gets in line behind that. And I think that happens today in the Word. In a, in a difficult way. And I, I want us to see it. And we're going to go back to our map from last week. Uh, let me get there. And uh, we're going to start at a kind of halfway through the story where we started last week. In, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, they were in an area around here 
called Kadesh. And they ultimately wanted to get onto the king's highway, which travels just up, just up on the east side of the mountains of Jordan. The king's highway was a good highway, even back in this day. It had towers at various distances. It was safe and it was secure. And all the way into Genesis, in Genesis uh, early Genesis, you find the king's highway being used. It's old. Well, in order to get there, they had to ask the Edomites. The Edomites lived in this area here. This was Edom. They had to ask for passage. This was Numbers chapter 20. They said, can we walk through your land? They said, we won't take anything without paying. If we drink water, we'll pay for it. All we want to do is get on the king's highway and walk. That's all we want to do. But Edom, feeling threatened, said, no, you cannot come into our land. And they marshaled their forces at the border of their land to oppose Israel. And so Numbers 21 picks up with Israel right here. And this is, we can't do the whole chapter, I'm sorry for time, but this is what the fourth verse says. Let's look at Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. It says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. So from here, it says, they set out by the way of the Red Sea. So they want to go this way, but they have to go this way. Eventually, they will get on a road and they'll come up out around Edom, a lesser road. But can you imagine being there, expecting to turn north? I mean, after all, 40 years is up. After all, the generation that had to pass away has largely passed away. I mean, it's, after all, every step, you know, every step you're taking now is towards the promise. You're no longer wandering. You're no longer a wandering people. You're a people that's on the way. You're a people that's moving forward every day towards the promise, every step towards the promise. Can you imagine knowing that, having all of those expectations in you? of going up to the border of Edom because you're progressing towards the promise only to be turned south back to the very place you've wandered for 40 years? Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you imagine, you know, you were, let's just imagine you were nine years old when the Lord judged his people and said you're going to wander for 40 years. Can you imagine seeing rock formations that you, you wandered around when you were 9 and 13 and 22, 35, and you're seeing them again, even though you're on the way to the promise. That's the setting they're in. That's why they're growing impatient. Because They're moving forward with God, but it feels like they're moving backwards in this life. It feels like they're backtracking. I can think of examples of this uh, that I often see. I think it's now common enough to me that it's almost a pattern. It's almost an expected pattern 
that when someone comes into Christ, when someone chooses to follow Jesus for the first time and they have all of that spiritual vigor and hope and all of that energy that is so natural with day one, it's, it is typical that they find themselves pretty quickly in a challenge, a spiritual challenge. An unexpected spiritual challenge. Like you come to Christ and then your girlfriend breaks up with you. Or you come to the Lord and then you get into motion. Some strange thing where in your mind you never actually said, now everything is going to go right. You didn't say that. You're smart enough not to say that. But something in you kind of hoped it. And yet things feel like they're moving backwards. Or if you've ever had a, a spiritual victory or some freedom as you try to mature towards the Lord, some place where you feel like you got up on a new landing, you got your head above where you'd been and you feel like, I have matured and I've put things, those childish things behind me. How often, whether by the hand of God to challenge you or through the guile of the enemy to trick you, you could wake up one day and feel like you're two steps back. Like old things have the ability to get you down or catch you. See this in relationships, in marriages. Marriages working towards health, struggling through things, and there's this, there's this knowledge of growth, but there is this feeling like they're still wandering. This is where Israel is right now. They're moving forward to the promise, even though they're moving 180 degrees away from it. And it's more than they can bear. That's what verse 4 says. They grew impatient. In fact, and I think we should be able to understand. I think being able to understand the root of their impatience allows us to participate with the story. And here's what happens. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. This story here, well, for what it shows our nature, right? Impatience is a doorway to all every kind of dissatisfaction. You know, when you've had enough of something or when you don't get what you want, how often you notice that you hate everything about everything. So they don't, they're not heading in the direction they want and all of a sudden the food gets bad. And all of a sudden there's not enough water and all of a sudden my shoe doesn't feel right and all of a sudden I don't like the old songs we used to sing and it's just, it's just lame. You know, we have a minivan so we hear this weekly, Right? How nothing is right because something's not right. And that's sort of the land they're in. And the Lord sends uh, 
snakes among them. Now, what happens here is, in one way, is typical, and in one way, is a little bit unique. I mean, we could say, well, the Lord's never plagued people with snakes before, which is true. I guess that's a little bit unique. But the truth is, what happened here is pretty typical of the people of Israel. This is how God dealing with them, all right? The Lord deals with the people of Israel in the same way that he deals with you, okay? Think of it as a person. So the Lord leads on Israel with these serpents in order to turn them back to himself. And we've seen this just in the book of Numbers. We've seen this very typical rhythm. I'll just summarize. In Numbers chapter 11, the people complained just like this. They complained. We don't like the food. We're not happy. They got overtly frustrated and they yelled against the Lord and so the Lord sent fire down and burned up the fringes of the camp. Moses intercedes. God shows mercy. Later in Numbers 11, they complain again about the food. They, they say this stupid, dumb, yucky manna. When are we going to stop eating this stupid, dumb manna? So the Lord sends a plague of quail to them. And many people die from the quail. Moses intercedes. God shows mercy. Numbers chapter 12. Moses' own sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron, start to wonder why they're not as important as Moses. Well, who died and put Moses in charge, they say. So the Lord strikes Miriam with leprosy. Moses intercedes. God shows mercy. Numbers chapter 14, the people rise up against God and say they will not enter into the land of promise because there's giants there and there's strongholds there and they have no hope doing that. And so the Lord, because of the mercy and petition of Moses, the Lord merely, merely curses them to wander for 40 years. Numbers chapter 16, a man by the name of Korah devises an insurrection, a rebellion from the inside, and he and 250 of his best friends try to rise up against Moses and overthrow the power of Moses. And the earth opens up and swallows them. Moses chapter 16, the people in general rebel against Moses and the Lord because they think that God is killing too many of them. And so the Lord kills more of them. He sends a plague. Moses intercedes. God shows mercy. So the snakes are typical, or a little bit unique. The snakes are a little bit unique, but they're not that unique. This is actually quite typical. Actually, what is unique here is the fact that the people repent. We haven't seen this before quite like this. The people actually come back and say, we've sinned against the Lord and against you. Please pray on our behalf. That is unique. That does show growth. They are a different kind of people than they were in Numbers 11. They are a different kind of people now that 40 years have passed. This time, though, it's snakes. I think in all of those cycles, because we're given so many of them in this book, all of those cycles show us this basic truth that when material hardship, when our visible, tangible life gets hard enough, 
that we can, if we're not careful, change the way we think about God. That in their case, all of their hardship, you know, when it bubbles, it's one thing to ask it quietly. It's one thing to sort of go to the Lord with, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, right? The book of Psalms is full of that. The book of, the Bible understands that you do not understand God and that you need to call out to him and say, God, I'm trying to work this out, right? The quiet deliberation that we make with the Lord our whole lives, the careful complaining we do with the Lord called prayer, our whole lives is understandable. Allowing it to bubble up to become the public sentiment, to become your overt attitude, that's different. When your hardship becomes such a way that you rise up like that against the Lord, it is your way of saying, God is not good. Or he's not here. Or he's not in control, or he's asleep, or he's not at the wheel, or he's a liar. Or that the promises he has for me are not worth it. That's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with people who are, because they're tired of eating food given to them, they would rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. They would let go of the promises. Wrestling with our faith is one thing, but publicly concluding through your spirit that God has pulled a bait and switch on you is another. That God doesn't have the best for you. Well, what happens after this is actually quite unique and strange even. Let me read 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, I will, I'm going to confess to you right up front, I find this is a strange passage for me. And there are, I wish I had a greater sense of peace as I taught it. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what I feel like I'm able to say about God, but there still is, remains in me a conversation with the Lord. Like, uh, I, I know I cannot give you what he would have me give you. And I would say, in a, in a general rule, this is an aside. When we're studying the word and we don't understand something quite like we feel that we should, I fall back on who I know God to be. When I don't understand what God's doing, I trust in who he is. So I trust in who he is. But there are things about this story that are just strange for me. And I imagine many of you see them. Having Moses make a snake on a pole feels like a pagan ritual to me. It feels unwise. So there's something of God's spirit in me that goes, that's not wise. But God told Moses to do it. And that's what I keep talking to the Lord with is, why is, how do I feel that? But you said that. 
I feel like, well, doesn't that sort of feel like a graven image? Here's the second commandment. This is the second commandment from Exodus 20. Do not make for yourself an idol, whether in the shape of anything in the heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters of the earth. Now, to be clear, this is not an idol. Nobody here is assuming that because they're bitten, they have to pray to the serpent god. They're not turning to a different god. They actually went to Yahweh. They went to Moses to say, please go to Yahweh and plead for mercy on our behalf. So this is not actual idolatry. So this is where I I know everything is technically fine here. This is not idolatry. They went to God in prayer, and God said, hey, do this. But it kind of pushes up against the guardrail, doesn't it? In fact, I sort of feel like, oh, Lord, this doesn't feel like it's going to go right, and it doesn't. This is a passage that I'm going to show you from like three, four hundred years later. Hundreds of years later, longer than that, 600 years later. Okay, King Hezekiah is what this passage is talking about in 2 Kings. It's Hezekiah, he's a king, he's a good king, and this is what it says. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, these are all places of idolatry, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made. For until then, the Israelites were burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. They had given it a name. And they were bowing down to it. Nehushtan is like the bronze thing. It's a little hard to wonder why the Lord gave those instructions. But I will say this. It does serve to remind me how I too, and you too, often have difficulty seeing past what God gives us and seeing what he did for us. The snake's not what's healing, right? We know the snake is not doing the healing. It's not a magic snake. It's a piece of metal. God is doing the healing. But the people over time get caught in the visible and miss the invisible. When the visible was intended to point to the invisible. It's just a perfect example. The snake is like a window. Think of it like a window. They are supposed to look through the snake to see God. Just as like the cross behind me. The cross is a window for us. We're not intended as people who look at the cross. We look at God through the cross. It's just a piece of wood. But when we see the cross, we are reminded of what he did for us on the cross. Reminded of all of the work of Christ and his sacrifice and his shedding of blood on our behalf. We look through the cross to see God, just as though they were supposed to look through the snake and understand Yahweh. And this serves as a, it serves as an excellent example to say, be careful. 
Because many of our prayers are in the practical. Many of our prayers are in the visible. Lord, help me here. Can I have this? Fix this, please. Many of these are good prayers, or earnest prayers before the Lord. And because God loves us and is good, often, often enters into our life in practical, visible ways. Be careful lest you see that thing and miss the God. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Because you prayed to God for healing and now it's the medicine. We should be people who look through things to see God. And this does remind me of that. There's a passage in the New Testament that many people are familiar with, John 3.16. It's a perfect example. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? The Lord gave Jesus so that as we look through Jesus, we understand the love of God. The passage is about the love of God. And the ministry of Jesus reinforces this. Jesus does not in his ministry try to claim credit for himself alone. He gives credit and glory to God. He says, if you understood God, you'd understand me. If you, haven't, if you see me for who I am, then you've seen the Father. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Paul writes, he's the image of the invisible God. In other words, Christ, the very Son of God, is given to us to be a window for us to understand God. Well, just before John 3.16 is 3.15. But more importantly, is a visit that the Lord Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus. And he's challenging Nicodemus in a lot of ways. And one of the ways he challenges Nicodemus, he ends up saying to him, Nicodemus, you ought to know these things. You're a teacher of the law. How can you... He says, I've spoken to you of things that are earthly and you don't understand them. How can you understand something heavenly if you can't understand it in an earthly way? In other words, by the way, do you hear, do you hear the pattern? I've put something in front of you that you can see and understand. And if you can't get that, how could you recognize the spiritual truth behind it. And then he says this. This is John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That's how the Scripture tells It's an image. Jesus is saying, God is understood through me. And if anybody wanted to have the love and the mercy of God, the life that God offers, they have to look through me. It cannot be found in any other way. Anyone and everyone who understands their suffering apart from God need but to look through me and they'd find them. Now, I know that 
This is not a new teaching for us. But I am reminded that it comes to Israel when they're on a detour. God reminds them of this, not, not on any old day, not in an easy day. God reminds them of this when they, they know in their minds they're moving towards the promise, but they look at their feet and they're moving the opposite direction. And it's then that the Lord says, look to me. Because I haven't forgotten you and I'm not weak and I'm not a liar. And my promise, I'm not short-selling my promise. I give you life. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? And I want to I wanna pray a little differently this morning. I want to, as we pray together, I want us to lift up, whether it's somebody you know, whether it's yourself even, or maybe even somebody you don't know, I want us to lift up those here who are feel like they're backtracking with God, feel like they're on that detour, feel as though they thought they would be moving in one direction. But things are playing out very differently. Not as they had expected. And in that is the frustration that we have with the Lord. I want to lift, the, I want to lift those up. So if everything's fine with you this morning, I'm asking you to pray with me on someone else's behalf. Lord, we come to you. This morning we come to you to testify even in some people's impatience that you are good and that you do see them and that you are going to be faithful and that you are a God of love and a God of mercy and you give, you give your people what they need. Lord, we pray against a spirit that would think ill of you we pray against someone's heart that would think that God doesn't care for them or that he's forgotten them or that the truths that your scriptures say are not. We pray against that, Lord. We pray against the enemy in this, the age-old serpent who would destroy us. Lord, we look to you for life. Lord, and we pray for those here this morning who, whether they're great they appear great, Lord. They feel small. We lift them up to you, Lord. And we ask for your peace and your mercy as you take us where we are to go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.